Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, appreciate you checking us out. My name is John. I am the lead pastor. Today we are continuing our Christmas series that we are calling it Just the Right Time. Now the title of this series comes from a little hidden detail about Christmas that I stumbled upon in a part of the Bible you would never expect to find anything about Christmas in. Buried in the middle of this sort of deeply theological letter that Paul was writing to the church in Galatia, he says this of Christmas, and it was random. He goes, but when the time was right, and last week we talked about that, but when the time was right, God sent his son and a woman gave birth to him. Last week we talked about how God had a plan for this world. And his plan for this world was always to send Jesus Christ to die for our sins. And he established this plan, if you will, all the way back in the beginning of time, all the way back into the Garden of Eden. But according to this verse, he waited for just the right time to execute this plan. And 2,022 years ago, apparently everything had fallen into place just as he wanted. Everything had lined up in human history. And God pulled the lever, launching those plans to save the world. And what we're doing in this series is we're taking a look at how God's plans impacted the lives of the individuals uh, at that time who were impacted by that plan and hopefully learn a little bit about ourselves in the process. Last week, I don't know if you were here or not, we talked about Mary, who was Jesus' mother. And we had a conversation about how, like, what it looks like when, when God interrupts your plans. Every single one of us has a plan for our lives, for our careers and our families and how we think things should go. And every once in a while, God steps in and he says, hey, I know you thought you were going to go that way, but I'm actually going to need you to go this way. Okay, what do you do when that happens, right? If you are in the midst of what I'll call a divine interruption, and you might be, um, I would encourage you to go back to listen to last week. You might find something encouraging or helpful to figure out what's happening to you and, and how to respond that. Today what I want to do is I want to talk about the shepherds. Now, let me just say this. In my opinion, okay, this is not the opinion of Downtown Harbor Church and the Board of Trustees. This is my personal opinion. Um, these are the greatest characters in the Christmas story. Like, obviously, Jesus is the reason for the season. We know that. You have to say that. But Jesus, you know, Jesus aside, for my money, this is where it's at, okay? So when it comes to the shepherds, we kind of tend to conjure up images in our mind. We're thinking about them. We kind of often think about kids in sheets. This is my buddy Ethan at the live nativity scene at his school. I went there this week and I go, hey, let me get a picture of you so I can use you, show you the, you know, the audience. When we think about shepherds, we kind of tend to think about these sort of middle school, elementary school productions. Or, or maybe, maybe we think about, you know, uh, Thomas Kincaid pictures. It's a, some bucolic setting sherbet colored skies there's a light dusting of snow and the shepherd curled up with his little sheep i don't know like if it's the songs or what but when we tend to picture these shepherds there's 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 just a warmth about them right there's a there's a tenderness about them there's just it's inviting these nice little shepherds well according to theologians and according to historians the actual shepherds look nothing like kids in sheets and you probably wouldn't find them in a thomas kincaid painting in fact Based on what they let us know, they looked more like Calamity Jane and Deadwood. I don't know if you've seen this show. It's a great show, by the way. Why did I choose her? I spent an inordinate amount of time this week trying to find the best modern analogy I could 
to kind of help us understand what these shepherds really would have been like and looked like. And this is the closest I could get. I don't know if you know who Calamity Jane is. She is a real historical figure, Jane Cannery. Okay, she, she worked in the Wild West in the late 1800s. She drove teams of oxen. She was famously filthy. She was rough, okay, cursed up a storm. And people just did not like when she was around. She, she just, she didn't fit into society at all. And according to theologians, this most accurately represents the Christmas shepherds, which begs the question, why did God choose someone like this to be a part of his Christmas plans. Let's find out why. Today, our story, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 7. Luke tells us that she, speaking of Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So it says that she laid him in a manger. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. We're all speaking the same language when we use this word manger because there is some confusion around this term. You know, we hear all the songs talking about lying in a manger, and, and we think nativity scene, right? And because there was no room in the inn, we think the manger is the barn, like this wooden contraption they're always under. The manger is actually this. It's a feeding trough. It's what animals eat out of. Let that thing like sink in for a second, that God himself, the Messiah, is resting comfortably in a feeding trough sleeping in dirty hay. Story continues. That night, there were shepherds, there's our boys, staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And Luke tells us that they were terrified. Now, normally, I would point out that whenever humans interacted with angels, generally speaking, they were, they were scared. Um, Mary was scared last week, and, and, and we see that happening here as well. However, I actually think in, in this scenario, I think there's more going on than meets the eye. One of the greatest stories in all of Scripture is David and Goliath. Even if you're not a church person, chances are you've, you've heard this story, at least heard of this story. It's about a young shepherd boy who was brave enough to fight this monstrous giant, okay? This giant that, that terrified the entire Israelite army of grown men. They were scared to death of this guy, but he wasn't. And when they asked David, why are you not afraid of this giant? He famously says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine, speaking of Goliath, which means that David regularly had to do battle with lions, regularly had to do battle with bears. Now, here's where it all comes together. David was a shepherd in Bethlehem. Our Christmas shepherds are shepherds in Bethlehem, which means they most likely also had to contend with lions and bears, and yet they're afraid of an angel. See, the lion they could handle. The bear they, 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 they knew what to do with, but there was something about God appearing in their presence that shook them to their core. And we're going to find out why. But take a look what the angel says. He says, don't be afraid. I, br I bring you good news. And with that, they're kind of like, oh, okay. All right, they kind of shake it off. They take a big sigh of relief. Because these shepherds, they're the kind of guys that would say something like, you know, 
Oh, if I stepped into a local church, the roof would catch on fire. Okay, maybe you've said something like that. I've invited a lot of people, and they're like, oh, you don't want me at your church. If I, if I come in, the roof's going to collapse. Maybe that's you here today, right? And like your friend dragged you here, and they promised, like, hey, if you come, we'll buy you brunch afterwards. And you're here, and you've just been checking the ceiling the whole time, you know, looking for cracks and sparks and any lights that might fall on you. I get it. We've all been there at some point in our life. The shepherds, because of what society said about them, because of what religion said about them, they were made to believe that if God showed up in their lives, it couldn't be a good thing. And so they were terrified. So why would they feel this way? Why, would, why did they feel as though they couldn't step inside of a local church? Why do they feel like they couldn't have a positive interaction with God? What was going on in their lives or culture that made them believe they couldn't be on good terms with God? Well, according to prevailing Jewish beliefs at that time, shepherds were considered to be ceremonially unclean. What does that mean? According to the law of Moses, Jewish people could be in two states before God. You could be clean or unclean. I don't mean just like dirty, like ceremonially unclean or ceremonially unclean. They were clean. Now, if I follow all the rules and I follow all the regulations, if I eat the right foods and I avoid the wrong foods, if I wear the right kind of clothing and I avoid the wrong kind of clothing, if I hang out with the right people and I avoid the wrong people, that made you clean. And you were acceptable to God. And there were 600 plus rules that they could do. Now, if you're like the shepherds who had to work with animals, <clears throat> and you were occasionally around dead animals, <clears throat> and manure, that's a problem. And blood, that's a problem. You were then unclean. And when you're unclean, it prevents you from engaging in a lot of important spiritual activities. For example, because the shepherds were unclean, they had no access to the temple. That their job as a shepherd prevented them from stepping inside of the local church because they were unclean. That because of who they were and because of what they did, they were given the stiff arm from being able to worship alongside other Jews. Because of their inability to enter the temple, that meant that they had no access to Scripture. See, today, thank God, we all have access to the Bible. It's on your phones. You know, you can get one on Amazon, have it here delivered before, you know, 1 p.m. It's in all the hotel rooms, as I think it is. Maybe it's not anymore. I don't really know. But 2,000 years ago, that wasn't the case. 2,000 years ago, there would be only one copy, one scroll, and that would be located in the temple. And so if you wanted to read it, or more likely hear it read to you, you had to go there, and they couldn't. Furthermore, their inability to enter the temple caused even a larger problem. It meant they had no access to sacrificial offerings. The most important activity that took place at that temple was not the music, it wasn't the kids programming, it was the sacrificing of animals for the forgiveness of sins. And what would happen is you would come with your sacrifice, you'd bring your little lamb with you, you'd hand it off to the chief priest, the priest would, you know, dispatch the lamb, so to speak, spill the blood, and you'd be forgiven of your sins. That's how God ordained this to work before Jesus Christ. But since the shepherds couldn't step inside that temple, they could never sacrifice, which means they could never have their sins forgiven. 
And so these shepherds had zero access to the temple. They had zero access to the word of God. They had zero access to the forgiveness of sins, which made them feel like they had no connection to God at all. They knew he existed. They believed in him. They knew he forgave sins, but they felt as though God didn't even know their name. And why would he? They didn't measure up. That's what culture told them. That's what their religion told them. The Mishnah, which is the written version of Jewish oral law, it's not the Bible, it's, it's a secondary source, describes shepherds as being incompetent. Okay? Imagine if Christianity had a second set of rules outside of the Bible, and in that book it said that you know, uh, accountants, as a group, are incompetent. Now, you may have had incompetent accountants, but like as a group, your religious text is now telling you they're incompetent. That's the shepherds. Additionally, historical records show us that uh, shepherds had no civil rights. They were deprived of their rights. In fact, a shepherd couldn't even be used as a witness in a court case. Furthermore, the Mishnah portrays shepherds as being thieves. That, that when you think of a shepherd, you should automatically think thief. So much so that people were strictly forbidden from buying wool or milk or goats from a shepherd because that property was just presumed to be stolen goods. And there's also a law in the books that said if you ever come upon a shepherd who has fallen into a pit, you are under no obligation to help them out of that pit. When I think about how culture perceived these men, it just it boggles my mind that God would send his angels to them. And the message those angels brought was this, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you, it says, will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. This amounts to one of the greatest announcements the world has ever heard. The Messiah has arrived. The one who will reconcile God and man. And God, in his infinite wisdom, who has been waiting thousands of years for this moment, entrusts this message to the shepherds. To the ones who are outcasts. To the ones who can't step inside of a local church. To the ones who nobody trusts. Just like we saw last week, God's plan it doesn't add up. It, just, it doesn't make any sense. Think about this. If, if, if God had a message, which he did, and he needed to get it out to the entire world, which he did, and he needed to make the biggest impact possible, it would make sense, all right? It would make sense to announce it to the chief priests, right? That we can get behind. That makes sense, right? Let's send the angels to the pastors or the bishop or the, or, or the pope, right? People are apt to listen them about spiritual stuff, so that would make sense. But God didn't choose the chief priests, and we'll learn why later. It would also make sense if God sent the message to a king, right? This guy's in charge, respected leader. He could easily dispatch messengers throughout the kingdom, spreading the good news. But God didn't choose a king, and we'll find out why later. Now, if not the chief priest, if not the king, at least it would make sense to send the message to the rich and powerful, right? Influencers, people who had a little cachet, some pull in society. 
people who other people admired, wanted to be like, wanted to be around. Yet God, in, in his infinite wisdom, he chose the outcast and the unclean. He chose those shepherds. See, God loves the surprises. He sees us getting all wrapped up in our stereotypes as to how we think things should go. And then he turns the tables on us. That's what he does with the shepherds. But he ain't done shocking us yet. Luke says that suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Again, perhaps the greatest divine spectacle in all of Scripture. I mean, you've got the resurrection, and then honestly, you've got this. The parting of the Red Sea, I'm sure, was incredible, but that was an earthly miracle. This is otherworldly. This is like the, the curtains of heaven being pulled back. This is the invisible being made visible. In this moment, these shepherds are looking up into this night sky, and it says they see a vast host of angels. This word in Greek here that Luke uses is the word stratia, which means heavenly bodies, constellations. In other words, he's saying, when those shepherds looked up into that sky, there were as many angels as there were stars. I can't even fathom what that would even look like. And all I'm left wondering is, why did God plan this divine display for such despised people? Because that night, after having waited thousands and thousands of years, it was just the right time to announce to the world that the message of Jesus is for everyone. God was making a statement that night. No matter who you are, or what society says about you, or what your family says about you, what you may think about yourself, doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, powerful or powerless, God is for everyone. This is the message that Jesus would preach his entire life. One day, Jesus walks into the temple. And it's filled with all kinds of religious elite. And, and scripture says he walks to the front of the room and he opens up the scroll, the one copy of the Bible they had. And Jesus begins reading from Isaiah. Listen to what Jesus read that day. This is Jesus reading. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. He then closes the scroll, he looks up at the audience, and he proclaims, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Mic drop. It, it is precisely the same message that God proclaimed that very first Christmas night, that you are never too low or too insignificant or too forgotten for God. And the reason God came to those shepherds is because God came for those shepherds. But there's another reason I think God came to those shepherds. It's because he knew that they would listen and respond. See, just because God speaks doesn't mean we listen. Isn't that true? And just because we listen doesn't mean that we respond. God was looking for someone who would respond to the news of his Savior. 
Let's think about this logically, right? Because this is where God's plan really begins to make sense. How do you think a king would respond? We talked about this. If he were to uh, receive this message, how would a king respond to the news of a new king? Angels show up at the palace. They go, hey, your highness, we're here just to let you know that a new king has been born. Not just any king, but the king of kings. Would that be good news for a reigning king? No, not at all. In fact, when King Herod heard the news, it drove him to genocide. That's a problem. So God didn't go to a king. Okay, well, how do you think a religious leader would respond to the news of a savior being born? You would think positively, right? Mm, we got a problem though. The religious leaders at this time are so self-righteous. These are the ones Jesus is dealing with his whole ministry. They're so self-righteous that they don't think they need a savior. They think, and we've done messages on this, they think that, well, because I'm born Jewish and because I obey the rules, well, God and I are good. Mm, not so fast, Jesus would say. In fact, it was these very religious leaders who made the shepherds feel like outcasts. One day, Jesus was having dinner with some tax collectors, and tax collectors were equally as hated as shepherds. Now, the religious leaders at the time caught wind of this dinner, and uh, Luke tells us that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Can you imagine religious leaders speaking this way about fellow Jews? But this is how they treated people. It's not difficult to see why these shepherds were so poorly thought of. But take a look at how Jesus responds. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And I have come to call not those who think, who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Jesus is looking for people who will respond to his message. And so it really does make all the sense in the world for God to send the message of salvation to the unclean, to the outcasts, to those shepherds. Individuals whose pride and, and, and self-importance wouldn't blind them from the truth. And sure enough, God was right. Those shepherds listened and they responded. It says, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. I love the fact that it says they hurried. They wasted no time whatsoever. Next week, I want to I dig into that concept a little bit more. But in this moment, God is saying, I know what society says about you. I know. And, and I know what you're saying about yourself. And I know that you've been prevented from coming to me. So now, I'm coming to you. And I'm offering you something that you've never seen before. Forgiveness and love. I can only imagine what it was like in this moment for these shepherds to, to, to be there and to look into that manger and to peer into the eyes of their Savior. Story wraps up. It says, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, it was just as the angel had told them. The Savior of the world has been born. So, 
What's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we throw this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. When God pulled the lever on his plans, it was just the right time to impact the lives of those shepherds. And I have got to imagine that there are people here today or people watching online right now or people listening to this podcast in the future that feel like those shepherds. That for whatever reason, you, you've been marginalized by society and maybe even the local church. And if that is you, I am genuinely sorry that you've been made to feel that way. But here's what I want you to remember this Christmas season. No one, no one is too far from God. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter what society said about you. God loves you. Now the truth is, you may not be able to feel that love right now, okay? And you may not be able to even comprehend that kind of love right now. But Jesus, according to scripture, is the evidence of God's love for you. John, who was the best friend of Jesus, wrote what amounts to being the most famous line in all of scripture, perhaps one of the most famous lines in all of literature. He says this, for God loved the world. And so many of us think God hates this world. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus defines eternal life as being in a relationship with him. This promise here is available to anyone and everyone. And my prayer this Christmas is that just as those shepherds did some 2,000 years ago, you would listen to these words. And not just listen, perhaps even respond. So this year, let's remember that God sent his son at just the right time to let us know that the message of Jesus is for everyone. Let me pray. Dear Holy Father, the more I learn about you, the more I'm just blown away. When I think about how you move and work in the smallest details of this world to impact our lives in such a dramatic way. God, that you would choose the shepherds, people who, who have, whose society has turned their back on, people who don't even, don't even fit in, Lord, to bring the greatest message the world has ever heard, God. Because so many of us, Lord, we look at ourselves, we think about what people say about us, our mistakes, and we, just, and we think we're not worthy. But Lord, that night, you showed up, proving that you want a relationship with us, no matter what society may say about us. God, and I pray that if there is someone in this room today who has been made to feel less about themselves, 
because of something that's going on in their lives. And because of that, Lord, they thought that perhaps you don't know their name, that you don't care about them. Lord, I pray that today they would know, that they know, that they know that there is a God who loves them, who loves them so much that he sent their son to die on their behalf. And I pray that they might have a relationship with you for the very first time in their life. And they could walk away today glorifying your name. Move in this place, Lord. Move in our hearts. Bolster our faith as we think about the Christmas story. And we ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.